Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Monday. Hope everyone had a great weekend, whether you were doing some form of Halloween celebration, whether you celebrated Reformation Day, whether you just, you know, celebrated pumpkin season or harvest or whatever it is we Christians say that we're celebrating to avoid celebrating Halloween. I hope that you had a great weekend. We had a good weekend. We did a little bit of all of that. We had a fall festival. Uh, We went to my parents' house, dressed up a little bit, and um, it was a good weekend. So I hope that you guys had a great one as well. Today, we're going to talk about a smorgasbord of things. We are going to talk a little bit about the Reformation. So I touched on this on Thursday, but I didn't get as into it as I wanted to. So I'm going to get a little bit more in depth today. I'm just going to re- reiterate what I said on my Instagram stories. If you saw those, then this will be a little bit of repetition for you. If you didn't, then you are in for a little bit of a historical treat. If you don't know exactly what the Reformation is, then I'm going to talk a little bit about the irony of um, the World Series being in Texas and Georgia and why I find that so hilarious. We're also going to talk about the Lincoln Project and the Virginia gubernatorial race and how this hoax by the Lincoln Project ended up backfiring and it was just so silly and ridiculous. What is even the Lincoln Project trying to accomplish? And then I also want to mention that the Supreme Court is hearing um, arguments on a Texas on the Texas abortion law SB8 that was so controversial when it was uh, put in place when it was enforced at the beginning of September. And so we're going to talk about all that good stuff today. This week, we are going to get back into the swing of the news. We talked a lot about non-news items last week and even the week before. We talked a lot of theology. We talked some evergreen subjects. And we haven't talked about COVID in a long time. We haven't talked really about politics in the news. And it was a nice it was a nice break from the numbers. It seems like you guys really liked that break. And I like to kind of give us a balance, paying attention to the things that are going on, but remembering what's most important and talking about some stories that you guys are asking about that um, is not necessarily being covered by the other podcasters that you listen to or in the news shows that you're watching. So first, let me talk about the Reformation a little bit. You guys know I am a Reformed Protestant. There are a lot of you guys out there who are also Reformed Protestants like I am. And there are a lot of you who are Catholics. And as I've said before, whenever I post a question box on Instagram, one of the questions that I get from my many Catholic followers is, why are you Protestant? Why aren't you Catholic? As if it's like this surprising thing that I am not Catholic, which I just find so funny. Because growing up, I grew up in Dallas, Texas, and there were very few Catholic people that I knew. Of course, there were Catholic people who live in Texas. There were Catholic, uh, you know, Catholic private schools. And I might have known, I went to a Christian school, maybe one Catholic person that I can think of that went to my Christian school, but I really didn't know anything much about Catholicism growing up. It wasn't until I went to college, which was in South Carolina, which is still very like Southern Baptist evangelical territory, but I went to this small liberal arts college, Furman University in Greenville, South Carolina, and lots of people would come from different parts of the country, the Northeast, where there's a lot of Catholicism. And so I had quite a few friends that were Catholics, and I I didn't realize how much we really disagreed on how 
much theology that we really did not see the same way. Like, I'll, I'll never forget. I'm not saying that this is indicative of Catholics in general, but you know, evangelicals are characterized by a lot of different things that we do growing up, like Awanas, like vacation, Bible school, all different kinds of things like that, uh, youth group. And I know that some Catholic churches have the same kind of things, but this is really a more evangelical, historically evangelical tradition. And everyone knows John 3.16. That's just like the verse that you know. And at the bottom of like Forever 21 bags, I don't know if you guys remember this. I have no idea if they still have this. They used to have John 3.16, which is so random. And I remember saying that to one of the girls on my hall when I was a freshman in college who was Catholic. She and her roommate were both Catholic. And I said, oh, like John 3.16. And she had no idea what I was talking about. Like not even what does John 3.16 say, but did not know what John 3.16 like was, what I was even talking about. And I realized that there, that is not, um, that's not me trying to say that no Catholics know what John 3.16 is, obviously, or that they don't read their Bibles, but she still considered herself a pretty like devout Catholic, always went to mass and things like that, and yet didn't know what John 3.16 was. For me, in my Bible belt upbringing, my Awana's vacation Bible school youth group upbringing, that was very surprising to me. There are different emphases that um, that Catholics uh, place on church tradition and mass and the Eucharist than what Protestants, uh, the, you know, the emphasis that Protestants mostly place on Bible study. Again, that doesn't mean that Protestants don't place any importance on church traditions and teachings and going to church or that Catholics don't care about the Bible at all. But I would say they emphasize those two things, prioritize those two things differently. I remember the first time I saw people walk around with ash on their head for Ash Wednesday, and I had no idea what was going on. I am sure that I probably went up to several people being like, what? Was this like for science class or something that all you guys were a part of and you had to put like this black smudge on your head? I had no idea. So when people ask me, why aren't you Catholic? I'm like, I didn't even know any Catholics growing up. I didn't even know any Catholics. But then, you know, I had the pleasure of meeting a lot of different Catholics. I had a roommate that was Catholic um, in college and have learned a lot about Catholicism since then. And really, it's necessary to learn about Catholicism to know about why you're a Protestant. It is impossible to talk about the Reformation and the Protestant Reformation without talking about Catholicism. And when I talk about the Protestant Reformation, people think that I am attacking all Catholics. And I hate that language because that's not what I'm doing. It's not ad hominem attacks. There's a lot that I appreciate about my Catholic friends as far as, um, for example, their activism goes in the defense of unborn life. They, The Catholic Church has been much more unanimous, much more uniform, and much more out front on the issue of abortion, I would say, than in general Protestants have. Now, if you look at evangelical Protestants versus Catholics, evangelical Protestants um, are much more conservative politically, ideologically, this is according to Pew Research, than Catholics are. But Catholics in general are very strong on the issue of life, whereas Protestants, I feel like there's not as much of a uniform theology surrounding that. So there's a lot that I appreciate about my Catholic friends, but there are some very significant differences that go all the way back, not just to the beginning of the Protestant Reformation around 1517, when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses um, 
it, it goes even farther back than that, all the way to Wycliffe, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, but there are some very key differences between Catholics and Protestants. And when I start talking about this, it's interesting while there are a lot of Catholics who will reach out to me and say, you know, I appreciate your perspective. Here's where we disagree. There are a lot of people who get very upset and very angry. And like I got sent this page of someone who is a Catholic talking about Protestants and really like hateful, 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 mean, spirited, just like ignorant stuff about um, Protestants. And so I realized that there's like there's still that age old centuries old, embittered battle between um, Protestantism and Catholicism when you get down to the nitty-gritty in some ways. Even though I don't feel any kind of animosity, those disagreements are there, and they are important disagreements. So let me back up a little bit. Let me tell you about um, Reformation Day, why Protestants celebrate it. I see a lot of Catholics saying, I have no idea. I don't know why um, Protestants would celebrate this. Like, I understand you have your faith, but why would you celebrate the divorce of the church and splintering off into 40,000 denominations? This is such a tragic day. He was not a, Martin Luther wasn't a reformer. He divided the church. You're supposed to reform the church from within. Well, that's a, that's a little misleading. Now, let me tell you why. And I'm going to just basically read the stories that I put on Instagram. So if you're watching on YouTube and I'm looking down, it's because I'm actually looking at the stories um, that I wrote. I took, a, I had to take a long time to do this. My husband was like, this is taking you forever. I put a lot of thought into uh, my stories whenever I'm explaining something. And so it'd be easier for me to just read what I already wrote than trying to do this extemporaneously. So on this day, yesterday, 504 years ago, Martin Luther, he was a German priest. He was a theology professor. Uh, he published his 95 contentions with the Catholic Church. Now, whether or not he actually nailed the 95 theses to the door is, um, we don't know if that's factor or fable, but he published it. He, he put it out somewhere and people saw it. And this was the start of the Protestant Reformation. Now, Martin Luther did not intend to start a revolution. This guy was a Catholic. He was a good Catholic. He had been a monk. He actually, um, he actually promised God uh, and promised St. Anne uh, several years earlier in a lightning bolt incident that he was going to become a monk. So he was a very good monk. He was very learned. He was an expert in God's law. He was not against the, the formation of the Catholic Church, the structure of the Catholic Church. In fact, there were a lot of things that Martin Luther uh, affirmed his belief in as far as Catholicism goes that I, as a Protestant today, do not agree with. He was not against the papacy in general. He was against uh, the powers that the Pope had come to take on. Um, so he stood firm in the gospel of Christ, knowing the sacrifices that would likely have to be made because of his stand. And one of the things in his 95 contentions that he talks about in several in several of his theses was this practice of indulgences. So at the time, Catholic clergy were exploiting poor lay people by promising their monetary donations, the poor people's monetary donations, would move their dead loved ones from purgatory to heaven. Purgatory is something that Protestants don't believe in because we see no biblical basis for this in-between heaven and hell. Um, the Catholic idea, generally, there are people that could explain this in a way much more eloquent, 
much more eloquently than than I can. But it's basically um, where you go if you're not damned to hell and uh, you're not yet fit for heaven, purgatory, purge um, the sin from you so that you are eventually able to hopefully go to heaven. And one of the ways the Catholic Church was teaching that uh, this could be expedited for people's dead loved ones was if these people, poor people, lay people, uh, would pay money, would make donations to the Catholic Church, and then their loved ones um, would be able to spring from purgatory to heaven. And so um, Catholic clergy would go into these poor villages and say, remember your dead parents who did so much for you. They cared for you. And now they're in purgatory. Don't you hear their cries? Won't you do something for them? Uh, Pay this money and they will go to heaven. And so this was exploitation. I mean, this is the kind of oppression that uh, that Jesus uh, lashes out against the Pharisees for. This is the kind of oppression of the poor that God condemns from the beginning of uh, the, the beginning of the establishment of Israel when He establishes um, Hebrew law. So Luther, as a man of God, as someone who loved God's law, as someone who loved the gospel, who was one of the very few people at the time to be able to read the Bible. The Bible was often in the Latin Vulgate, and so you had to know Latin sometimes. You had to know Hebrew and Greek to even be able to read the Bible. So he read the Bible. He actually knew the gospel, and he hated this exploitation of the poor that he saw in the name of uh, the Catholic Church. So he says this in his 95 Theses. They preach vanity who say that the soul flies out of purgatory as soon as the money thrown into the chest rattles. On the way to eternal damnation are they and their teachers who believe they are sure of their salvation through indulgences. In this and in other ways, the Catholic Church uh, was teaching that salvation could be earned um, and that the person who offers enough indulgences need not uh, repent of their sins. So their sins could be remitted through their donations to the Catholic Church. Um, He also contended, like I mentioned a few seconds ago, uh, with the power the Pope had gained. He said, beware well of those who say the Pope's pardons are that inestimable gift of God by which man is reconciled to God. So he argued, he didn't argue again against the papacy, but he argued that the Pope can only affirm God's forgiveness to the repentant man, that the Pope himself has no actual power to forgive on God's behalf. The Pope had become very powerful, not just over the entirety of the church, had almost um, come to be seen as infallible and inerrant, um, but also he had control, he had much influence over um, secular rulers, over non-church rulers as well. Uh He goes on to say, Luther goes on to say in his theses that the power, the unbiblical power of the papacy was inextricably intertwined with this corrupt power of indulgences. He said, what is this new holiness of God and the Pope that for money's sake, they permit the wicked and the enemy of God to save a pious soul faithful to God and yet will not save that pious and beloved soul without payment out of love and on account of its distress. So you're granting salvation to this person who has not repented of their sins, who doesn't follow God just because they're donated a bunch of money. But this repentant soul who wants to follow God but doesn't have enough money doesn't get salvation. That's part of the corruption that was going on in the Catholic Church at the time. 
Well, when he issued these 95 theses, you can imagine that the people in charge of the Catholic Church who really had a monopoly on power, had a monopoly on doctrine, had a monopoly on theology at the time, and liked the money that was coming in from this practice of indulgences, they didn't like what Martin Luther, who had been known as a faithful, learned Catholic up until now, they didn't like what he had to say. So in 1520, three years after he posted his 95 theses, Pope Leo X issued a papal bull against Martin Luther accusing him of heresy. So Emperor Charles V called a court of inquisition called the Diet of Worms. Uh, Luther was ordered to appear and renounce his teachings. And he was asked before the court if he would deny what he had begun to teach. And he said this, quote, unless I am convinced by the testimony of the scriptures or by clear reason, for I do not trust either in the Pope or in councils alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves, I am bound by the scriptures I have quoted and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. May God help me. Amen. Consequently, the Diet of Worms issued the Edict of Worms, officially labeling Luther a heretic and banning the reading of his writing. So book banning has been going on for a very long time. Uh, Luther firmly believed he couldn't recant what he had said. And he firmly believed that the average person had the capacity to understand the gospel and the scriptures. Most people, uh, most Catholics at the time had not read the Bible because it wasn't made available to them. Um, They didn't know how to read Latin. Uh, It could only be read by those who understood Latin and Hebrew and Greek. The normal lay person had never read the Bible, which is exactly why they didn't know that it was unbiblical, that it was anti-gospel, this idea of being able to earn your way to heaven through indulgences. So by 1534, he had translated the entire Bible into German. And by God's providence, this was almost 100 years after the invention of the printing press. And so Luther's Bible, which was translated into German for the first time, this took him over 10 years. This took him a very long time to translate. And again, he was a master translator because he was so learned in the word of God. The Bible sold out quickly. And that is the fire of Europe that could never be put out. Um, So whether you are Protestant or whether you are Catholic, you have Martin Luther and other reformers that I'll talk about in just a second. You have them to think for a Bible that is in your language. But as I said, it's not only him that we have to think for that. John Wycliffe, or Wycliffe, depending on how you want to pronounce it, he lived 200 years before Luther. He was actually known as the morning star of the Reformation. He also publicly railed against the Catholic Church. He um, was educated at Oxford. He was also an extremely brilliant academic. He criticized the massive power of the Pope, the unbiblical idea of transubstantiation, that communion becomes the literal body and blood of Christ. And I know I said this on Instagram, and I got a lot of people, uh, a lot of Catholics upset about that, but that's a difference between Protestants and Catholics. We don't actually believe in transubstantiation. Um, Now, maybe there are some Protestant denominations who do, but for the most part, Protestants believe that it is uh, symbolic, and I know I am going to get direct messages about that. But uh, this is something that John Wycliffe said, hey, that's not that's not actually biblical, and to claim that you um, that you are partaking actually in Christ's body and blood. He actually called that blasphemy. So he affirmed that all doctrines and church authorities, um, not that they're not significant, not that they don't matter, but they have to be subject to scripture. Um, That was a big difference between the Catholic church and someone like John Wycliffe and the rest of the reformers and Protestants today. 
He affirmed that, um, he, uh, well, his, his affirmation, so his affirmation of the inerrancy of Scripture, the authority of Scripture over all teachers and teachings of the church, um, led him to translate the Bible from the Latin Vulgate into English. Now, you'll even get some contentions today about this uh, Catholic saying, you know, Latin Mass is uh, the Mass that really Catholics should be attending and things like that. And whatever, that's fine. But that really goes back to Catholics hundreds of years ago who did not want the Bible translated into the common language. They thought it really should only be in Latin. There was even a belief that if you didn't understand it, you weren't meant to understand it. But John Wycliffe made this brilliant point um, in the 1300s when he said, Englishmen learn Christ's law best in English. Moses heard God's law in his own tongue. So did Christ's apostles. So his point is, like, why shouldn't the average Englishman hear God's law in his language if the point is that we are supposed to be making disciples and have people understand the gospel themselves. So the Catholic Church's monopoly on scripture and theology was over. And once the gospel got into the hands, got into the the heart and the head of the average man, the world was never the same after that. So John Wycliffe, like Martin Luther 200 years later, did not mean to start some kind of revolution. He didn't even mean to start this worldwide reformation, but ideas have consequences. And then there was Catholic priest, John Huss. He lived 1369 to 1415. So he was also before Martin Luther. He was also influenced by Wycliffe. He openly condemned the corrupt power of the Pope, as well as the sale of indulgences, his study of scripture revealed to him that the Bible and the doctrines of the Catholic Church greatly diverged at the time, Huss was excommunicated, and he was actually burned at the stake for his teachings. A Huss actually means goose in his native Czech language, and he said this, they will roast a goose now, but after a hundred years, they will hear a swan sing, and him they will endure. So him they are going to listen to that they're they're not going to be able to kill the goose that or kill the swan that rises a hundred years after they burn this goose. This man, John Huss, at the stake a hundred years later was Martin Luther, and they weren't able to kill him as much as they wanted to. God providentially protected him. So after Luther came other reformers. That was that that fire in Europe that he didn't mean to set aflame, but that couldn't be put out. And then there was the Genevan reformer of the of the reformers, and that was John Calvin. He wrote one of the most influential Christian, um, Christian works in history, Institutes of the Christian Religion. It sought to draw distinctions between the teachings of the Catholic Church at the time and the teachings of Scripture. Um, and then from the teachings of Calvin and then other reformers, reformed Protestants get the five solas or the five um, alones. So the first one is sola scriptura, scripture alone. And so that doesn't mean that we don't believe in the importance of teachers and teachings and traditions and things like that, but that we believe that only scripture is inerrant and inspired by God. Um, it is ultimately authoritative. And we get that from many places in scripture, but one of them is 2 Peter 1, 20 through 21. And then we've got sola fide, faith alone. Salvation is a gift that cannot be earned. It is a, um, a gift of faith. So works are a product 
of salvation, when we hear faith without works is dead in the book of James, we are reading that faith is a product of our salvation, not a prerequisite for salvation. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 is one of the passages that we go to for that. And then we've got sola gratia, grace alone. Saving faith is a gift of God's grace. Again, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. And then we've got solo Christo or solus Christus, Christ alone. Jesus is our lone savior and our lone mediator between God and man, 1 Timothy 2, 5. And then soli Deo Gloria, to the glory of God alone, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Um, There's a lot more that can be said about the Reformation. There are so many questions that I would answer. There are so many misconceptions um, that I would like to address. And there's so much that I want to learn about the Reformation and the Reformers that I don't know. One of the Reformers, John Knox, um, he was a Scottish Reformer. We've got his uh, quote over here on the side. It says, uh, resistance to tyranny is obedience to God. There is the history between the Reformation and the pilgrims coming to Plymouth Rock and the foundation of the United States. We would not have the United States if it wasn't for the Protestant Reformation, not just because the pilgrims who brought their faith here, but also the revolution, the American Revolution itself was also known at the time as a Presbyterian rebellion. Um, It was known as a theological fight against the tyranny, religious tyranny, of England. There was a huge theological aspect to the American Revolution, plus this idea of individual liberty, as you can probably see from what I just explained, and self-governance is rooted in the Reformation, in Reformed theology. We would not have the United States. We would not have the founding documents that we have, likely, likely, um, at least in the form that um, they at least in the form that they took on, um, without the Protestant Reformation. And so whether you're a Catholic or a Protestant, um, some of these historical facts are things to be thankful for. And so why do Protestants celebrate the Reformation? I know people say there are so many denominations. They're, you know, the one true church. The Catholic Church is what I hear my Catholic friends say, you know, um, has been divided or, or whatever because of, because of this. Well, Protestants see this as a recovery of the gospel. And when I hear people say, when I hear Catholics say, well, you reform the church from within, not from without. And these people that you're talking about, John Wycliffe, John Huss, and, um, and Martin Luther, they shouldn't have left the church. They should have reformed it from within. I'm not really sure what you mean by that. They were excommunicated. They were excommunicated from the church. They didn't say, I'm leaving the church and starting my own thing. None of them said that. They were excommunicated from the church. That excommunication and the Catholic church saying, you know, this is where we stand. We diverge from the corrections of Martin Luther. Yeah, I mean, that radicalized some people. That pushed some people away and said, okay, if the Catholic church believes this and the Protestants or Martin Luther and the Lutherans and Huss and the Hussites, if if they believe um, what they have said about faith alone, about the gospel, about scripture in the hands of the average person, then we're going to be on that side. And if that puts us against the Catholic church, then so be it. So the Catholic church, um, they they pushed these people out. These people did not start their own sex on purpose. Um, and so that's just that's just one point that I want to bring up. And yes, we see it as the recovery of the gospel. I'm so thankful. Like, I'm so thankful for this. Do I agree with everything that Martin Luther ever said? No, but God obviously providentially used 
used him to show corruption that existed in the Catholic Church, to show where the Catholic Church's teachings and scripture diverged. And again, for the third time, he he lit a match and set a fire in Europe that could not be put out and thank the Lord for that. Thank the Lord that we have the Bible in our hands, in our own language, and that millions of people do around the world. That wasn't happening before these reformers. Thank the Lord that the gospel has gone out. Um, and I'm just, I'm so thankful for the Reformation. I'm so thankful for God's providence. And as much as I love you, my Catholic friends, like you're never going, you're never going to get me to not celebrate the Reformation. I love the Reformation. I love the Reformers. I love the Word of God. I love Reformed theology and I'm thankful for it. So if you want to know why I'm not a Catholic, it's because I'm a Protestant and I'm very thankful for Protestantism. All right. That took me a lot longer than I thought it was going to. Thank the Lord for the Protestant Reformation. Thank you, God, for the gospel. All right. I'm going to talk about some other things that I promised that I would talk about. First, let me tell you about my first sponsor for the day. That is Good Ranchers. So we've got we've got a, a new um, some new things that I want to say with Good Ranchers today. Uh, if you guys don't know, the farming industry in the United States is um, it's in a it's in a really dire place. A hundred thousand independent farms and ranches in the U.S. have shut down just since 2015. A hundred thousand because foreign meat is stealing their business and robbing you of the quality and flavor you deserve. And so, our reliance upon global sources of meat has crushed has crushed the livestock industry. Has crushed the farming industry in the United States. Good Ranchers really cares about this. They want to revitalize the farming industry in the U.S. and support the farmers that still exist. They want to support local American farms. They want to help you make great American meals for you and your family. They want to restore the American ranch and your meals to their former glory. Good Ranchers is here to put America first. They firmly believe this. This is in their heart. They're not just out there just trying to sell meat to make money. That's part of what they do, but they really care about American farmers and they really care about America in general. And so they want to prioritize the American people at the dinner table and to support the farmers that worked hard to raise the meat we eat. Good Ranchers upgraded their website to handle the increased traffic that has been generated from the listeners and viewers of my show. You guys, you know, I've been talking about Good Ranchers for a while and you guys have delivered. Well, actually, Good Ranchers has delivered to you if we're going to get technical about it. You've gone to goodranchers.com slash Allie. You've picked out the meat that you want. You've gotten the unmarinated chicken, unpremarinated chicken, and then you've gotten the premarinated chicken. That's chili lime chicken. And then you've gotten your T-bone steak, your filet, your ground beef, all that good stuff. It's been delivered to your front door and you've put it in your freezer and you have had excellent high quality uh, grass-fed beef and better than organic chicken for your meals every night. And you've loved it. And so you've come back for more. And so you've generated a lot of business for American farmers. Guys, that like makes a real difference. There's a, It's a win-win-win win, I think, as Michael Scott would say. It's a win-win-win-win. Everyone is winning here. So if you have not gone to goodranchers.com slash Allie and supported American farmers by getting your meat from there, what do you have to lose? Honestly, it's so affordable. It's so convenient. Plus, if you use my link or my promo code Allie, you get 10 free Bistro Filet medallions with your order. That is like a $100 value. So 10 free Bistro medallions with your order if you go to goodranchers.com slash Allie. 
That's GoodRanchers.com slash Allie. You also get free express shipping and $25 off your subscription for life at GoodRanchers.com slash Allie. So free express shipping, $25 off your subscription for life and 10 free Bistro medallions. GoodRanchers.com slash Allie. Okay, just want to make a quick note about Texas and Georgia. So they're in the World Series right now. We've got the Houston Astros. We've got the Atlanta Braves. And if you're like me and you don't really follow sports, the World Series is happening. That's something that's going on right now. And since I am originally from Dallas, I'm obviously supporting the Braves. That's just how it is. There's, you know, this just Houston-Dallas rivalry. So I've got to support the Braves. Also, more importantly, my husband's family is all from Georgia. He, uh, they live outside of um, a a couple hours away from Atlanta, but he grew up in middle Georgia and he was an Atlanta Braves fan, still is an Atlanta Braves fan. And so I'm a Braves fan for right now, even though the Texas Rangers will always be my team. I actually went to the World Series when I think there were playing the Cardinals when I was in college. My dad and I went to St. Louis. And so that was fun. Um, So the World Series right now, I think we thought that the Braves could win it all last night, but now they're moving on to the next game. And the irony about all of this, the funny thing is, you'll remember the MLB All-Star game that was happening, you know, a few months ago, I think towards the beginning of the year. I don't remember these kind of sports things. But remember when the MLB was like, no, we're not going to have the MLB game in Atlanta like we thought because this racist Jim Crow-esque voting law, this is voting suppression. And so they took the MLB MLB All-Star game away from Atlanta, costing Atlanta, which is mostly blue, by the way, and has um, a very large number of black Americans living there. They took that money away from Atlanta and... And they went to Denver, Colorado, where they already have things like voter ID in place and very strict voter restrictions. But um, Colorado is a blue state and this was just a big virtue signal. It had nothing to do with it had nothing to do with helping black Americans It actually probably hurt black Americans by taking money away from the city of Atlanta and the state of Georgia And the bill, of course, as we talked about, we talked about it with Governor Kemp. We've talked about it several times. The bill in Georgia and the bill in Texas, or the laws, I should say, uh, don't have anything to do with voter suppression. In fact, they expand access in some ways and they just make it harder to cheat. And so it has nothing to do with voter suppression. To say that it's anything like Jim Crow is, of course, just this crazy hyperbolic and I think offensive talking point that has no basis in reality. And the MLB, like other major corporations and other sports leagues, just wanted to virtue signal. Well, 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 now they are playing in both Texas and Georgia, and it's absolutely unavoidable. And, of course, they're not saying anything about anything. If they really cared, if they really felt the way that they said that they felt about the racist states and the laws in Texas and Georgia, then I don't know, I guess they would change who won, um, who who's in the World Series, or they would change where they played. But of course, they're not doing that. Um, and so now my husband feels a little bit better about watching these baseball games. You know, he was a little jaded for a little bit, understandably, about the MLB, because I mean, you just got a bunch of red-blooded Americans watching baseball, and really, you're going to make a stand like that. And so he didn't want to support the MLB, but now he feels a little bit better about watching these games because at least he's supporting um, Texas and Georgia, Georgia in particular. 
All right. Speaking of ridiculousness, I want to talk about this funny story that happened over the weekend. I was totally, I was like so unplugged from, really I've been unplugged from social media since like last Wednesday. I just haven't known what has been going on. So my husband told me about this and I had to investigate because it's just hilarious. So you guys know tomorrow is the um, is the Virginia election for uh, for the governor between Republican Glenn Youngkin and Democrat Terry McAuliffe. Terry McAuliffe has been uh, he has been governor before. He has some supporters in Joe Biden and Barack Obama Dave Matthews randomly, and he is pretty far left. Like he is extremely beholden to the teachers unions and he got in hot water when he said recently, and I think I have an article for World Magazine that is uh, coming out about this today or tomorrow, but he got in hot water a few weeks ago when he said that he doesn't believe that parents should be in charge of their kids' education, shouldn't have a say in what their kids are reading. And of course, Glenn Youngkin very smartly has run with that by saying he absolutely believes that parents should be in charge of their kids' education as we We've talked about many times before, um, and I think as we focused on last Wednesday specifically, parents are the only ones or the ones who have the most vested interest in their kids and actually care for their kids' holistic well-being more than any teacher or any bureaucrat, any teacher's union member, any administrator, school board, school board member does. And Glenn Youngkin has emphasized that to his credit, and that is why it is neck and neck. Terry McAuliffe should have been running away with this because Virginia is now pretty reliably blue. But Terry McAuliffe doesn't ha- just hasn't been running that great of a campaign. Glenn Youngkin is not. And, you know, the left is trying to paint Glenn Youngkin as some far right extremist, as some, you know, like January 6th inter- insurrectionist or even just this like Trump sycophant. And he's just not like he's been more wishy-washy than I would have liked when it comes to things like, um, you know, women's locker room, you know, gender stuff, um, men not being able to enter, boys not being able to enter girls' spaces. Like, he is not even probably as socially conservative as I would like, but obviously he's far more conservative than Terry McAuliffe, and he is on the side of the parents when it comes to kids' education in Virginia, especially Loudoun County, Virginia, and even Fairfax County. They have been hotbeds of the controversies that we've been talking talking about about the sexually explicit material that some kids are being presented with in school, um, the racially divisive topics that kids are being presented with, and just the lack of solid, well-rounded education that a lot of public school students in Virginia um, are receiving. And so Glenn Youngkin has been out front on this issue, and that is why he is leading. Uh, he is leading in the polls against Terry McAuliffe when it comes to parents of kindergartners through twelfth graders by, I believe, it's twenty percentage points. And so, parents of students are highly favoring Glenn Youngkin, and that is because Terry McAuliffe is just a he is just a creature of the corrupt teachers unions. He doesn't. He does not care. He does not care about the education of Virginia public schoolers. His kids didn't go to public school in Virginia. He likes to, you'll see him say, oh, you know, we want the best schools in Virginia. My wife, um, Dorothy, and I have raised our five kids in Virginia. That's his uh, political, politician-y way of saying, yeah, we raised our five kids in Virginia. We also sent them to one of the most expensive schools in Virginia, a private school, um, where they were 
on the board of trustees. And so they absolutely believed that they had the right to be involved in their kids' education. I mean, they were spending thirty dollars to $50,000 per year on each of their five kids' tuition at this expensive private school. So they want choice for themselves. They want involvement for themselves, uh, but they don't want that choice and involvement uh, for working class and poor families in Virginia. That's so typical of Democrats who are beholden to the teachers, uh, to the teachers' unions. And so I think a lot of people see that hypocrisy. However, that has not stopped uh, that has not stopped the supposedly virtuous conservatives, and I'm using huge scare quotes if you are not watching on YouTube at the Lincoln Project, these people who build themselves as at first as anti-Trump conservatives. Um, it later came out that one of the founders was like preying upon uh, I'm not I'm not trying to laugh about this. It's just so ridiculous that they're still even in business. But one of the founders is actually preying upon young young men and sexually harassing text messages. And somehow people on the left just love them because they hated Donald Trump so much and they pushed back against Donald Trump. They campaigned against Donald Trump. But now we found that they're not just anti-Trump, but they go against every single Republican still somehow claiming that they are going to bring the Republican Party back to the days of Lincoln when they oppose every single. Republican, including Glenn Youngkin, who, again, is more of a moderate than anything. Like, he is not some far-right guy. He is not Trumpy. And if you don't like Trump, you don't have to worry about that with Glenn Youngkin. Although I will say he's conservative and you should definitely vote for him if you are in Virginia. But um, so Lincoln Project hates him. They're super weird. They just know where their bread is buttered. Their bread is buttered at MSNBC. And you'll have someone like Eric Swalwell calling them, um, you know, conservatives with actual integrity, your honorable conservatives, they're not conservative in any sense of the word at all. I mean, they are grifters, grifters. There's one thing that I really agree with, um, agree with AOC on. And she said that the Lincoln Project are grifters and she doesn't trust them. That's discernment right there. I don't see discernment coming from AOC very often, but she realizes that she's not going to partner with someone like the Lincoln Project because they're just trying to make money. They don't actually have any principles. They haven't shown that at all. They go after whoever MSNBC wants them to go after. And so that's what they're doing with Glenn Youngkin. So over the weekend, they thought that it would be funny to um, put some people dressed in, I guess what they thought, we'll put the picture up on YouTube, um, dressed in what they thought looked like white supremacists. And so there, these five people, um, four guys, one girl wearing like khaki pants with white button down shirts, with tiki torches and they're standing in front of it. And reportedly someone saying, someone said that they were saying all in for Glenn. And so people thought at first there was this reporter on Twitter that ran with this saying, Oh my gosh, these white supremacists with these tiki torches, they're standing in front of Glenn Youngkin. See Glenn Youngkin is this white supremacist. Well, as it turned out, vice actually reported this of all outlets. Vice is pretty uh, solidly on the left side of the ideological aisle they reported that th these were not just random, you know, white supremacists. These were not people that were out there supporting Glenn Youngkin. And for it was in front of Glenn Youngkin's um, campaign bus, by the way. Uh, it was actually the Lincoln Project. It was actually volunteers from the Lincoln Project. And so this is what Vice reported. Five people dressed like white supremacists who caused a violent Unite the Right riots in Charlottesville four years ago. They showed up outside of Virginia Republican gubernatorial nominee Glenn Youngkin's event in the town on Friday. 
It was a half-baked stunt from the Lincoln Project, a group of Republicans who opposed President Trump and Yunkin. Um, a group of Republicans, again, no. The Lincoln Project acknowledged they were behind the stunt after Vice News identified one of the people dressed in the photo in front of Yunkin's campaign bus as a low-level Democratic operative who has recently been working for Democratic sting operator Lauren Windsor's The Undercurrent. Lauren Windsor, she is this... Uh, she pretends to be like this undercover reporter that tries to trap Republicans and, uh, you know, insane different things. And she works with the Lincoln Project, I guess, as some kind of communications coordinator or something like that. Um, and she apparently organized this. And when the news first came out on Twitter that these so-called white supremacists were standing in front of Glenn Youngkin's campaign bus, um, when it wasn't known who they were, she was tweeting about it and saying, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this. Well, as it turns out, she is behind this along with the Lincoln Project. It's so embarrassing for them. So it says her group has repeatedly gone undercover as conservative activists to go to politicians to say what's really on their mind and has also held events alongside the Lincoln Project in recent days. The Lincoln projects uh the lincoln, the lincoln project released this statement saying today's demonstration was our way of reminding virginians that ha what happened in charlottesville four years ago the republican party's embrace of those values and glenn yunkin's failure to condemn it we will continue to hold glenn yunkin accountable now remember this is the state with the governor ralph northam who was it, it was discovered a few years ago that in a yearbook he is either wearing blackface or a Ku Klux Klan rope. OK, so and that was from several decades ago and he didn't resign and there wasn't a big push from Democrats for him to resign. He is the current Democratic governor of Virginia. Now, this is the also the guy who said a couple of years ago that if a baby survives an abortion, the baby should just be put off to the side and made comfortable until the parents decide what to do. He said that on in public on a radio station. So this is a grotesque guy. And the Lincoln Project, the so-called principled conservatives, um, think that they have the upper grounds here, that they have or they have the they're on higher ground and they have the upper hand here in criticizing uh, Glenn Youngkin as a racist. I mean, come on. Uh, the article goes on to say, or the statement goes on to say, if he will denounce Trump's assertion that the Charlottesville writers possessed very fine qualities, will withdraw the tiki torches until then, will be back. Um, and so it was really embarrassing. If you go on Twitter, there were a ton of Democrats who were condemning them for this. It just looks it just makes them look really stupid and it makes them look actually like they're trivializing white supremacy by basically uh, making a joke about this. If even Vice is calling them out, you know that it wasn't a good move. And the fact that the communications director or advisor, Lauren Windsor, told them to do this. I mean, it just shows that she has no talent or wisdom whatsoever. I mean, come on. Now, I hope that this pushes the race even more in the direction of Yunkin. I still think that McAuliffe probably has a good chance to win. But if you are in Virginia and you haven't decided who you're going to vote for, definitely vote for Yunkin. I mean, come on. It's not even if you're even remotely non-liberal or in the middle at all, then you absolutely should be voting for Yunkin. You, you can go to their campaign websites. You can read the different things about them and you can look at the different issues. We don't have time to do that today. And you can, of course, make your decision. But McAuliffe will be a disaster as he has been a disaster before. If you want the public schools to get worse in Virginia, if you want Virginia to get less safe, if you want Virginia to deteriorate the way that other states and uh, other cities that have been that are 
run by Democrats have deteriorated over the past few years, then vote for McAuliffe. But if you want Virginia to go a better direction, then vote Glenn Youngkin. And and don't be apathetic or lazy about this. Politics matter because policies matter, because people matter. Politics affects policy. Policy affects people. You have a responsibility to exercise your right to vote tomorrow in Virginia. Make sure that you go do that. All right. We're going to talk about um, one more thing, I believe. But let me tell you about my second sponsor for the day. That is ExpressVPN. In. So if you care about your privacy online, which you absolutely should, then you need a VPN. The VPN that I use is ExpressVPN. Every time you connect to an unencrypted network in cafes, hotels, airports, your online data is not secured. Any hacker on the same network can gain access to and steal your personal data, your financial details, all your personal information. It really doesn't take a whole lot of technical knowledge to be able to hack someone people can easily do it. That's why you need to protect yourself with a VPN. It uses an encrypted tunnel. It creates a secure encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. Hackers can't steal your sensitive data. Um, It would take a hacker with a supercomputer over a billion years to get past ExpressVPN's encryption so you can trust it. It's really easy to use. All you have to do is download the app and you can use the app on up to five devices. You just click it and you turn it on. That's what I do. I like to know that all of my devices are protected. So go to expressvpn.com slash Allie to get an extra three months free. That's expressvpn.com slash Allie, E-X-P-R-E-S-S, vpn.com slash Allie. All right. So I just wanted to mention that today the Supreme Court is taking up the Texas ban on most abortions. They are hearing oral arguments um, on this law. As you guys know, Biden's DOJ is suing the state of Texas over this because uh, Biden, who the Pope recently affirmed is a good Catholic, the rapidly pro-abortion president, he's very mad that more babies um, may live in Texas. And so they are ensuring that more babies can be murdered or trying to ensure that by suing the state of Texas and the Supreme Court um, is hearing those arguments. So let me read a little bit from the Wall Street Journal. The anomaly of SB 8 is that state officials aren't allowed to enforce it, a feature designed to thwart legal challenges. In the normal case, abortion rights plaintiffs would sue such officials and ask a judge to block them from enforcing the law. Texas instead said enforcement would come from private parties. So if you want to know the ins and outs of SB 8 and what all that means, we'll link our past episode where we explained that and why it actually probably is going to be effective. I actually saw a a recent uh, study that showed that abortions have been cut in half over the past few weeks in Texas. Praise God. Um, And so the um, the novel characteristics of this particular law helped expedite the process to the Supreme Court over the past couple of months uh, for this law. So uh, abortion providers weren't able to successfully sue to stop the law from going into effect. The Fifth U.S. Circuit of Appeals said the law, the lawsuit faced procedural problems in suing state officials. Then a divided Supreme Court declined to intervene and the law went into to effect on September 1. And then, um, like I said, the DOJ has filed its own lawsuit against Texas. And so that's what led up to this. The central question, according to the Wall Street Journal, is can Texas legally insulate 
its law from federal court review? And can the DOJ validly obtain a ruling that blocks the state's legal apparatus and, provi- or, and private parties from enforcing SB8? So that's the issue that we are looking at. We will keep a finger, our finger on the pulse of that, and we will keep you updated on that. Of course, I am praying that the Texas law stays in effect. There's another law that's coming down the pipeline from Mississippi on December 1st um, that also seeks to restrict most abortions in that state. And of course, you'll hear a lot of people on the left very afraid of um, Casey v. Uh, Planned Parenthood being overturned, Roe v. Wade being overturned. Of course, it doesn't mean that abortion would be abolished. It means that it would go back to the states. That is a huge misconception that people have. So if you live in a liberal or a moderate state, you are going to be able to have an abortion. Not that I am celebrating that option, but it's not going to ban abortion. It's just going to allow states to do what their voters want them to do in regards to abortion. And the fewer babies that are aborted, the better in my book. Um, All right. I'm going to read one more ad for the day. Then I'll say just a couple more things. And that is the last sponsor for the day is Dwell app. It is a Bible app and it's inspired by the psalmist command that we must hide the word of God in our hearts. Dwell has built a beautiful listening and reading experience for the scriptures. With over a dozen new recordings of the Bible, they've handpicked voices that will engage and inspire you. And in case you were wondering, yes, they have the best versions of the Bible too, like the ESV, my personal favorite. They've also got NIV, NASB, KJV, all that good stuff. You can listen and, and just listen if you're in the car, or you're cooking, or you're you know changing diapers, whatever you're doing throughout the day, or you can listen and read at the same time. That really helps you retain what you are taking into truly hide God's word in your heart and be able to recall it when you need to. So go to dwellapp.io slash relatable. When you do, you can get 10% off a yearly subscription or 33% off dwell for life. That means 33% off um, or 33% off means you save $50. So that's a big deal. Go to dwellapp.io slash relatable for those discounts. That's dwellapp.io slash relatable. Okay, so there's a ton going on this week. Let me got let me know. Gosh, I'm kind of tongue-tied today. It's Monday. I don't I don't know. Maybe that's it. Um there's a lot that you guys probably want to talk about this week. Let me know what you would like me to talk about, what subjects you want to cover. We'll probably do another COVID episode uh, because there's been a lot that's gone on there that's been published in the past couple of weeks that we haven't been able to talk about. Some of you might be tired of COVID, but there are some of my most popular episodes. You guys like to hear everything that's going on there. And of course, it's still affecting your life, especially if you live in a state that has these vax passports or mandates or things like that. I mean, it's ruined people's lives and livelihoods. And so we absolutely need to keep talking about the um, the the discoveries that are coming out about the origins of it, about the efficacy of the vaccines, about the legality of these passports and mandates. And we're also, so I went to um, a Southwest West protest 
a couple weeks ago and I interviewed some people and just because we have changed plans so much over the past couple of weeks, I haven't even been able to play that for you. But I'm going to play that this week. It's still super relevant to the things that are going on. There are still a lot of people at these companies that are pushing back against these mandates. Whether or not they like the vaccine or have taken the vaccine themselves, people are very concerned about this encroachment upon liberty, as I think we all should be. Um, All right. So just let me know what you guys want to hear about this week. If you want another theology episode, let me know that too. Uh, If you love this podcast, please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. That would mean so much to me. Thank you guys for being here. We will be back here tomorrow.